my advice to anyone setting up a business, reach out to some other entrepreneurs and be honest about how you feel. Mm -hmm. Because believe me, every entrepreneur might sell you some like, yeah, man, I just breezed into this. And it was also, believe me, they would have had their moments of fear and panic. Welcome to the Power Hour, the weekly podcast that will motivate you to pursue your passion and to achieve success. I'm Adrienne Herbert, international speaker, fitness coach, Adidas global ambassador and entrepreneur. Each week, I'll be talking to today's leading coaches, creatives, change makers and innovators to find out their daily habits, morning routines and rules to live by. The Power Hour is all about taking just one hour each day to help you improve your life and unlock your full potential. Whether you want to build a business, write a book, run a marathon, or maybe you're just looking for a spark of inspiration, the Power Hour is going to help you get there faster. Welcome back to the Power Hour podcast. Today, I am joined by a writer, journalist, and founder of This Much I Know News. This Much I Know is a news platform that puts genuine conversation at the heart of its delivery. Through discussion, debate and interaction, the aim is to inspire positive change around some of the most important topics and events of today. Everything from climate change to the World Cup, legalising cannabis, Brexit to TV show recommendations and pop culture news. The delivery is smart, concise and digestible. My guest is also a columnist at the Evening Standard and the former deputy editor of British Vogue. Welcome to the studio, Emily Sheffield. Hi, lovely to be here. Thank, thank you. you. No, thank you. Thank you for coming in today. I've been looking forward to this all week. I've got so many things that I want to talk to you about today. Uh, you've had an incredible career in journalism. And very early on, I read that you won the Guardian Student Journalism Award. So could you take us back a bit and talk us through your career journey and what ultimately led you to creating This Much I Know? Oh my God, I'm 46. So going back to how I started my career seems like a really long time ago. Um, I was at university in in East Anglia and um, I get bored really easily. Um, my brain needs to be busy. Um, I love sitting around talking, but I'm one of those people who feels there's got to be a point something. And um, I just, I loved English and I set up this magazine there because I there was a student newspaper and I thought, oh, that's a bit that's a bit like what's been done before. And I wanted to do something new. So it was called Bucket of Tongues. And um, very weird name, I know. And it was a satirical news magazine and it was quite sort of glossy and good looking. But um, it was a mixture of current affairs and and uh, there was a lot of really funny stuff in it. I had these two brilliant boys who I wish I could track down um, who wrote lots of satire for me. And we raised money for it and got sponsored and then it won the Guardian Award. And this was all just like a little idea I'd had one afternoon. So I think I've always had that belief that if there's something you really want to do, you just need to corral a lot of people around you to help. Mm-hmm. And that'll be the tough bit. That'll be the scary bit. But it, it it will it will happen. And then weirdly, when I left university, all I wanted to do was go and work for big organisations. And I don't know why, because I'd, I'd obviously had very early success with something that I'd done off my own back. But mm-hmm. when I got to London, I was like this green country girl. I felt a bit lost. I didn't really know what I was doing. And I had a great opportunity to do my own business then, and I didn't. Mm. And I went to work for The Guardian and then The Evening Standard. I went to America. Then I was 10 years at Vogue. 
Um, and when I left Vogue, I was just absolutely convinced that I wanted to do my own thing. And um, that's a pretty scary thing to do. But I, weirdly, how it came about was I'd seen in fashion this rise of the influencers. Mm. And there's a particular one called Man Repeller, which is brilliant. It's, it's in America and it's got a big following. Great shoes. Great shoes. Great everything, really. And I saw one intimate relationship they had with their readers and followers. And I love the way they switched from text to video. And it all felt incredibly tactile and conversational. And I thought, why can't we apply that to news? Because the flip side is I also get quite frustrated that and I'm not saying I'm against women doing this, but I feel that we do get put in a like makeup, beauty, fashion spectrum. Mm. And funny enough, in my world tech, you can raise money quite easily around that. But if you're doing something that's a little bit harder. Um, and I guess I want I thought, well, news can be about women and women should run news. And that's like a positive thing because you often find men at the top of big organizations. And mm -hmm. I guess there was a kind of feminist part of me that wanted to set up a company that was run by women and powered by women. And I still feel that. Brilliant, amazing. And it's interesting when you said that when you left university and you came to London, that you, yeah, you had this desire to, to go and work for a big company. And I think that perhaps, you know, nowadays, I think this whole idea of entrepreneurship and being a female founder, starting your own thing, like it seems to be now like celebrated and almost like on a pedestal of like, that's the goal. Whereas I think, yeah, before it was definitely like an impressive accolade to say, I work for X. Yeah. Because that name and that title, you know, like you said, the Guardian Vogue, that title, that brings... Do you know what I mean? It yeah, it brings, brings kudos. Yeah. Well, also, there wasn't the self-publishing thing you have now. To publish then, you had to go to the printers. You had to put a lot of money up front. You know, there were a lot more barriers back then, actually, mm. I think, to doing something quite small on your own. There were zines, but it, it, that was, it was pretty tough. You'd have to raise money. Now you can just go on social media and start publishing. Yeah. So I think that has brought around a lot of entre entrepreneurial skills because I think people could just get off the ground and do it yeah. and I think that is a massively positive I think there's lots of negatives around social media but I think there's a huge positive around that yeah I agree I mean it certainly was the case for me you know when I sat on my so far, I think my son was maybe 18 months and I, you know, Googled uh, WordPress and looked at how to start a blog and watched YouTube videos on how to, you know, build a template. And as you said, those things didn't used to exist. But if you've got the will now, you can, yeah, you can find the info to start whatever you want. Uh, and you mentioned as well about social media. So since the start, there's been huge changes in the way that news is reported and the way that we now consume media. Social media has definitely changed the game forever. So what was it like to witness that change and how has it impacted your work? Well, I think at Vogue, I mean, obviously, putting aside what I'm doing now, but when I was at Vogue, I saw, I mean, it was it was like a sort of earthquake going off, really, in our business because there was a huge amount of fear, actually, especially in the, I guess, the older generation because mm -hmm. they just didn't understand what was happening. I was younger. I mean, I started there when I was 31 and you you didn't notice it the first three, four years. But then I remember Instagram launching was a game changer. Facebook didn't really affect us much, but Instagram definitely did. Mm. And advertising revenues started falling and all these facts and figures were coming out that the next generation were not buying magazines and they were not buying print and everything was about... Twitter, Facebook and Instagram and that conti that continued to sort of gather momentum and Vogue actually was one of the first magazines to launch a website but I I so I found the whole thing really 
I became head of their digital for Vogue as well. I was really excited by it all, but I can see that for those running the company and you've got a lot of wages to pay every month, Mm. that falling revenue in print and then the digital wasn't really coming up with the same amount of money and then wondering whether everyone's habits of consuming media was changing like for a big company that that's a hard that's yeah. a hard corner to get around yeah it doesn't and that, that's still go, that's still ongoing i mm. mean there's a lot of big media companies who are running at horrific losses mm. and it's not from lack of trying but there is a lot of free free stuff out there yeah and it's good stuff and i think the it thing, is good stuff yeah i think that's uh, but people else. do need paying of course yeah and yeah of course and i think i've i've I used to hear the debate between well journalists journalists hate bloggers or fashion you know people you know and, and did that I don't know where that came from but did you experience that at Vogue was that the case that you know when the when the blogging scene hit and I remember people saying why are there bloggers on the front row of fashion shows because you know they're not buyers they're not designers they're not journalists they're just bloggers and it was almost like they were quite poo-pooed at first now it's changed no I I didn't I didn't I I personally didn't feel like like that there what there, there definitely was some of that going on um no, I didn't feel I didn't feel like that at all. I knew a lot of them personally and thought they were all great and they were so friendly and we all meshed in together. Like there's two very different views of that fashion world. There is obviously probably there's very high it's very, very hierarchical and there is like probably a slightly bitchy side going on. But I have to say it's whether you engage with that or not, and I definitely didn't. Mm. Um it can just be quite intimidating at the shows. I mean, I was at Vogue for 10 years and I still, when I'd go, I wasn't intimidated exactly, but it's still like a lot of the best dressed women in the world. And I was like a working mum, always slightly chaotic, always something, you know, spilled down my front, <laughs> um, rushing from show to show, having to file reports. So I don't know, I found all I found all those bloggers like really good fun and, yeah. and loved their company. And I loved the fact that they weren't tied to a big company and they had a sort of freedom about them that I really liked. Mm. I think the peacocking at the shows got a bit much only because I just thought, oh God, I felt like it was, a, I can't explain. It felt like we were going backwards a bit where it was all about what we wore again. Sure. And I felt like, and I think that's moved on now. Mm. You see a lot of the fashion bloggers now talk about sustainability and other stuff going on in their life and I think that was really important because for me I just I don't I think it's a terrible pressure on women to always be judged by what you look like and Mm. that is the side of Instagram I don't like because I think that it still encourages that um, and it's a very hard trap to get out of. Mm. I'm, I never do selfies because I always think that I look really rubbish. <laughs> and that's I rubbish, selfies. actually. I'm a selfie queen, but I, yeah, it is because like, sometimes I got, yeah, I mean, I do do selfies and I had someone say to me once like, oh, you know, you're so brave and you're so bold because you, you know, after a run, you just posted this picture with no makeup on and you look sweaty. And I was like, yeah, and I knew what she was getting at, but even the fact that she was like applauding me for showing my face without makeup, heaven forbid, I was kind of like, that's yeah, it's it's a pressure on women. Yeah, that they they have to yeah look that way. But I want us to take it back a sec to when you're just talking then about Vogue and the fashion shows. And I've got to be honest, like I grew up like loving. You know, the fashion magazines, America's Next Top Model. Like, I loved all of that. And so to me, like this, the the idea and the glamour of the kind of running to shows and all of that just sounds just sounds awesome. But we've all seen Devil Wears Prada and we all know the kind of, I guess, some of the horror stories of like uh, interns and all this kind of stuff. So tell us, was it really that bad or was it worse? 
It, honestly, it wasn't like that at all. Alex, my boss, I know I'm really sorry, I can't give you all the, the dirt. Alex, my boss, uh, Alexander Shulman, was very down to earth, incredibly hardworking. We ran a really profitable business for a long time. It was still profitable when I left. And um, there was the stuff that went on was more around the stars that we were shooting and their behavior, okay. which often was... Divas. Requests, oh my god! Like I'm not going to name names, okay. but some but give big some people like wouldn't let our stylist touch them or oh. go near them. Okay, um, definitely they're turning up hours late. I mean, we're talking 14 hours, and they're making the team shoot them at three in the morning. I mean, this oh, stuff. Wow. So I didn't, I didn't see it with our team, but I can tell you in that celebrity world, it definitely. I mean, someone pulling a cover shoot and saying that we all had to go. And I remember this at three in the morning. I'm on the phone to the L.A. with big actresses. Um, she just won an Oscar. Big actresses, agents saying, well, I'm sorry, she's not going to turn up tomorrow unless you move it all to Brighton. And where I was, rang where my was boss. The shoot supposed to be? London. Right. And this is the night before. So we got the whole team arriving at 6 a.m. in the morning. Like there's 20 people for this cover shoot. And I rang Alex and I said... I said, I can't, I can't do this anymore. They keep demanding something every second. And now they're telling us we've got to move it all to Brighton. And I said, I just think we've got to say no. And she just went, yep, say no. And that's a big thing. Like, you could lose your yeah. cover. <clears throat> so I rang the agent. And I said, no. And she rang back five seconds later and went, okay, don't worry, we'll do it in London. And you realise they're trying it on. So there's two layers. There's the star who's like probably behaving pretty badly. Mm. And then there are these pit bulls in front of them. <laughs> Who are doing their job, by yeah, the way, yeah. trying to like create all these demands because, in a way, it's how they earn their money. Gosh, <coughs> and I think that was a kind of thing that grew up, and I don't think it's accepted anymore. Mm, and also the absolute honour of being asked to be on the cover of British Vogue. I mean, come on. Uh, but I think, as you said, it's not. I don't think it's accepted in a lot of <laughs> industries, and especially within the creative industries. You know, as you said, it's there's some huge, huge stars who are really lovely, turn up on time, go Brilliant. and all the things. So if they like can do it, then it just makes the others just like, why would you? Uh, yeah, and, and most of them are like that. Yeah. So it yeah. would actually really set off the others we are like oh come on mm. seriously oh gosh I love it I love it but I... they were always great people it didn't matter like yeah. they were very I, I met so many amazing people when I was there yeah. and I and, and obviously I, I think I it became like second nature mm -hmm. and then you'd tell people and they'd be like what you, you spent <laughs> the day who? with Beyonce I mean you just hung out with Rihanna for 12 hours and I was like well yeah and it just it became like a because they're people that, yeah. that so it, you would have to take a step back and then go, okay, yeah, I did just spend the day with Beyonce. <laughs> yes, amazing. Okay, so then, so you were there for 10 years at Vogue and then you left. So, you know, with any big change or big transition, like that must have been a huge change. So what was it like when you left? Um, at first it felt really positive. Well, no, at first it didn't feel positive because I'd run for the editorship and I didn't get it. <clears throat> that was obviously was something I really wanted to do. It wasn't my time. I didn't get it. I dealt with that gracefully, but it was, um, you know, it can feel like a blow when you don't get the thing you really love. Um, and then, but I wanted to, I knew I'd been there for 10 years and I wanted to move on. And um, I, I then became pregnant and then I left and then I lost the baby. And then, <laughs> and then everything hit at once. I'd lost all my team. I was grieving losing a baby. I suddenly didn't have a job. <clears throat> like and all my dreams sort of suddenly fumbled mm -hmm. and just 
And I had quite a weird time for three months, which I didn't share with anyone. I kept it to myself, mm. took time out, didn't try and do anything. Um, but had left knowing that I wanted to set up a media company. Mm -hmm. And I just kept that. And I wasn't quite sure what it was. I had various different ideas. Mm. And I just, I just kept slowly plugging away at it while I sort of pulled myself back together. Because I think when you've spent a long time somewhere, and especially when you're in a, a big brand like Vogue, it's almost like you you sort of become a Vogue person. I can't explain. It becomes almost wrapped up in your identity. Mm -hmm. And I had to, I was very clear that I had to rem remove that. Mm -hmm. And it's still a part of you. All those years are a part of me. And I'm still, all the girls I was with, like we were a really great team. Like we, I, I adore those girls. They were like sisters. We hung out every day. We traveled a lot together. So we were all really close. And, but you, you just you have, have a moment to. where you're not going to turn up every day and and not see them and not talk to them. And that was, that was really tough to begin with getting used to that. Yeah. And I suppose selfishly, part of me building this much I know is that I could, you know, basically gather a group of women around me again and just basically talk about stuff. Yeah, well, it's great that you did. And, you know, I'm sorry to hear that. But, you know, in that difficult time and in the change and all of that, you know, as you said about identity, I think that comes up for so many people with whatever industry they're in, whether they're, you know, an actor, whether they're a writer, whatever it is, there's a part of you that is that that you choose, I guess, to be defined by what you do. And that's like, well, this is what I do. And that gives me, yeah, it gives you maybe your network of friendship. It gives you so many things. And so I think it must have been so difficult to detach from that. But so when you left, you knew you were leaving and you wanted to start your own thing. Did you ever think about, or oh, maybe I could go back? Was that ever an option? No, I'm fi I'm funny. When I move on, I definitely move on. And um, <clears throat> I did also, when I was young, always wanted to have my life in different chapters. And in my 20s, I was very much in news and newspapers. And in my 30s, I moved into this incredible fashion world, which is, it is an, it is an incredible world, which is otherworldly, you know, it is something other in a way, going to the shows and all of that. And it's, it is a kind of fantasy world. Um, and then I feel like I'm on another chapter now. Mm. And um, my family are big entrepreneurs. My mum set up her first business when she was 17. My sister's got a fashion business. My brother runs his own business. My other brother runs his own business. So I think there was just like, there was a sort of scratch. Yeah. There was a yeah. scratch going on there that needed itching. Awesome. And so <clears throat> you've since set up your own business. You are a mother now. You wrote an article when you said that you had to walk through a wall of fear. And I really, really liked that description. So talk to us about that. So it was, it was really unexpected because I'd spent, I'd started developing this much I know just on Instagram where it is still now. And I was uploading the news for a, for a long time, like every day by myself. And, um, and then I raised the money and joined, it's called the Founders Factory and it's um, a tech incubator. And they only, they only incubate seven people a year. And I never thought they'd like do me. And, um, it's backed by Guardian Media Ventures. And so given that was the first place I worked, that was really amazing. So I thought when I landed it and they said, right, you can start now, that I'd be really um, like, woohoo, yeah. And suddenly the responsibility of it just weighed like, I can't tell you, I, 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 I became, I, I, it wasn't fear like hot fear. You know, you have different types of fear. This was like this cold fear around me what for about a month yeah. when I was going into Founders Factory. And like, to them, I think I appeared completely normal. To me, underneath, I had all this turmoil going on. But again, as I said, it wasn't like hot fear where you're in a panic. It was like this cold wall. And 
I, I remember ringing my sister, getting off the bus, about to go into the office, and it's about three weeks in, and said, Sam, I don't know whether I can do this. I, I just, I think I should just stop now. I, this is horrendous. This is, this is just so horrendous. I can't do this. And she was like, look, I felt like that for the first year. She's like, you will manage it. You've just got to keep going. You've got to believe in it. I know you believe in it. You've raised all this money. She's like, I get it. But she wasn't also saying, oh, don't be silly. Mm. She understood it. And that yeah. was just so helpful having that. Um, th and I think uh, my advice to anyone setting up a business, reach out to some other entrepreneurs and be honest about how you feel. Mm -hmm. Because believe me, every entrepreneur might sell you some like, yeah, man, I just breezed into this. And it was also, believe me, they would have had their moments of fear and panic and insecurity and about about a month in it's like I just walked through a wall and it's not that I don't get anxiety or I don't feel frightened um, or I don't worry about my team or whether I'm going to raise the next load of money I just I I it was literally like walking through a solid door and then you felt like okay I've done that I've walked through mm -hmm. and I think people can have this around lots of things in their life my friend's about to move to Paris and I've been giving her the same advice. She's like, I can't believe I'm in so much turmoil about this. I feel so scared about what I'm doing. And I'm like, yeah, but you're going to walk through that door and it's going to be okay. Wow, I love that. And as you just said about the network, you know, reaching out to other entrepreneurs, finding out how did they feel? How did they do it? As you said, they've all felt that. I'm sure at some mm. point, the panic, the kind of, can I do this? I've certainly been in situations where I've been, you know, so both at the same time the polarizing feeling of being like i'm so grateful for this opportunity this is what i want to do yeah. and then going who do you think you are adrian you can't do this you yeah. know what i mean you're not yeah. you're not gonna deliver on this and yeah. you kind of stand there and think no come on why like, am i special why can i pull this off yeah, yeah. Why, why why i'm I'm not gonna i can't do this mm. i mean i had so many i still have those thoughts but i and i don't know whether you've had this experience because you've obviously you've got lots of fans and it's that I can genuinely say, and this is absolutely what this much I know is about, because it's all about the name. It's like a humble approach to the news. We're not telling you. It's like sharing the news. My users and followers were what got me through. They mm -hmm. still get me through because they they message us all the time. And in some really moments where I was doing the final signing of the deal and I thought the whole thing still might collapse, and you'd just think, I can't do this, I can't do this. And then someone would pop in and go, Emily, I so love what you did today and I love this much I know. And, and it, honestly, it would get you through. Like it would just go, okay, I'm just going to do this for another day. Yeah. I'll do one more day and if I still want to give up, okay, I'll give up. But I'm just going to do one more day because I owe it to them. Yeah. And there were even moments, because I had a partner when I first started out, and then she got a visa and had to move to America, and I nearly stopped then. Right. But I felt actually like a responsibility to the people who had been following me and mm. replying and talking about the news with us, that I was like, look, just keep going, yeah. keep going. And I think I've heard this say to a lot of entrepreneurs, keep going until you really don't want to do it anymore, and you'll know, like yeah. you will know. Yeah. But up until that point, you've just got to keep going because even if you don't believe in yourself that day or the concept or anything, you're just having a bad day. Yes, amen. We all have those. And I actually heard a gymnast, a gymnast who was an Olympic gold gymnast, who was talking um, in, on a podcast interview about that giving up thing and, you know, wanting to give up. And apparently her mum always told her, you can give up and quit whenever you want, but you can't quit on a bad day. So she said, if you have a bad day at training, you're not allowed to quit. But if you go in tomorrow and you have a great day and you still want to quit, then you can quit. 
quit. And I thought that was amazing because after a bad day, of course you want to just go, I'm not doing this anymore. I give up. But actually it's like you just said, you got that message or you've yeah. had a good day or you've had something come off and you're like, actually, do you still want to give up now? Yeah. Yeah. Brilliant. And I, I think also there's something around, um, you can't judge yourself too harshly. Yeah. I, I forget stuff all the time. I I am juggling two kids at home um a business staff raising money like stuff goes out of my brain holly doesn't stuff go out of my brain the whole time holly works on my team sitting in here she's laughing <laughs> i've got this pad this is another thing everyone's got their who's got their to-do list i have like this really nice pad and i can't live without them i literally like freak out if i don't have my to-do list and the thing is you've you write yourself a list what you mustn't do mm-hmm. is judge yourself if there's not a full page of ticks Mm-hmm. Just be happy if you've got three ticks oh my or God. two ticks. Okay, If Emily. you've just done a tick, yeah, you're okay. doing okay. You're speaking my language because I'm still obsessed with my paper diary and I write my to-do list the night before I go to bed. But oh my at the God, bottom, that's so organized. I have to do it to clear my head to sleep. Okay, but then yeah, at the bottom, I have a list of, I have three. Yeah. So it's basically, there's the whole to-do list and then there's the three highlights. And those are the only three. If nothing else gets done, if those three things get done, the rest, you're good. So otherwise the to-do list can be never end. It could be 20 things. Do you do the interesting things on your list and leave off the boring things? Because you see, I meant to have done this banking stuff and I know (laughs) that it's put on my list every day. So that needs to be your highlight. And it's always the one I moved. No, no, I have to. And I know I need to do it. Yeah, it's got to be your highlight. If I'm honest, obviously I'll pick something. I'm like, I can do that. That's quick and easy. I'd much rather go on a podcast. Much more fun. Yeah, exactly. No, you need to highlight that banking thing and get it done. Um, I think so. I was going to ask you something about networking. You mentioned it briefly, and I think even the word networking, like sometimes it just sounds so. People dislike the word because it can sound so formal and structured. I think it should be called friending. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like just hanging out or whatever. But I truly believe that the collaboration has been key for me personally. And I think, you know, women supporting and championing one another and just really utilizing the network that you have within your friendship group or within your your peers, your career, your or so I've lost the word I'm looking for, colleagues within your friendship group or your peer or your colleagues. So how important do you think that it is to have that network that you mentioned? And has it been, how much has it attributed to the success of your news platform? I think that, I think your network is hugely important and it's taken me a very long time in my life to really understand that. And I, and I don't know why, I think because I'm someone who has a lot of friends, and I'm not saying that in an egotistical way, I love friends. Like I had a period in my life where I didn't really connect with people and wasn't, you know, when you can go in my teens, I never really found that I found my people. Mm-hmm. And then I found my people when I went to university and when I moved to London. And and <clears throat> so I'm incredibly, I, I love friends and I've got lots of them. And I think the hard thing for me is that I really like to naturally connect with people. Yeah. And actually networking sometimes means that you've got to build bridges, bridges with lots of people. And it's not just about friendships. It's mm. also about work. But I also think it's great that probably your best networks will be with people you have natural connections with. And I think you can't be a journalist if you don't like people. And journalism's been my massive uh, sort of passion my whole life. And, and um yeah, I think I think I think what setting up a business has taught me is that you really need to reach out beyond your own circle. You've really got to go and find new friends, new circles, new people, because that is about you. You need new you need 
you need different types of people for a business. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I'm trying to get more into the tech world and find, you know, I'm, I'm trying to headhunt people now who've got much more tech skills. And that's so that's so far out of my skill circle. But you just people are willing to always have a coffee. It's more finding the time in your day to have a coffee. Yeah, tell me about it. Yeah. But it is the most important thing that you can do. And and I still think you will end up doing business with people you connect with. Yeah, I agree. And I think it's important to have those face-to-face connections, you know, to be in the room. I often say that, be in the room. And people are like, what do you mean? And I think as much as I think social media is absolutely fantastic, incredible, I couldn't, you know, I wouldn't do what I do today without it. No, it's face-to-face, isn't but it? But be in the room. Yeah, yeah. it's memorable. You have great conversations. You don't have to. I don't know. I think when when there's a possibility to be in the room and have a human connection with someone, if it is through a networking event, if it is through a friend of a friend or a coffee or whatever, I would always encourage people to do it, whether they're an extrovert or an introvert, because that can be a barrier for people. They go, yeah. oh, but I'm not confident. I don't want to have yeah. to go and like sell myself in some like yeah. networking thing. No, but, I'm really bad at that. I'm terrible at selling myself. I, I find it really thing. hard. Is it? Do you think yes, it's British? British thing is it for a sure. woman thing? Is it I a, think British it's a British thing? thing? I think American people, I think, are better at selling themselves and telling you you know this is how we do it and this is awesome and you're great and like it's like they ram it down your throat whereas in 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 England I find that people and maybe women who have all this like amazing you know expertise and this and that and they'll kind of go oh you know well do a bit of this and it's like what tell us what you actually you know no one wants to shout about their own success yeah that's is that is that British yeah maybe it is British I I also find the thing that are going and asking people for money mm-hmm. like in america i don't think that's not seen as a problem like you need right. to raise money for your company you just go and ask for it but i'm like really what's going to ask me money for my company <laughs> and they're like yes i'm like yeah but i know them and they're like exactly go and ask them like if they don't yeah. want to they're going to tell you no don't worry about it like yeah. and i think i don't know whether that's a female thing a british thing um i think failure is very different here too and that was part of mm-hmm. me walking through that wall is that you've got to accept you might fail Yep. And then when you accept it, you stop being scared of it. Like, it's okay to fail. And I think in America, especially in the tech world, it's seen as completely okay to fail. You fail, you learn, you get up and you start again. Mm-hmm. I don't think we're like that in Britain. I agree. And I think we've got to get over that. Like, failure is an absolute way that you grow. I mean, don't, it's how we grow as kids. Mm-hmm. Like, you fall over and hurt yourself. It's exactly how we learn from mm-hmm. the day we are pop out our mum's mm-hmm. bellies. <laughs> bellies mm, you know <laughs> you know just not saying that word no uh, i agree it's essential and but it's funny in business here in britain if you fail it's seen as like you should feel really bad about that well you're not you're, mm. you're an entrepreneur you're trying there's lots of things that are going to trip you up and if you look at the most successful people in business their first four businesses often failed yeah. i don't know if anyone any of your listeners listens to the car map the guy who runs that mm-hmm. he had four failed tech businesses wow and calm's the one that's taken off yeah. Age yeah. 40. Yeah. So, uh, you know, and I think that I think that I think that's a really important thing, especially as women, because I don't think we like failing. I think we, we, we like to try and sort of be brilliant to everything. It, it's OK. Mm-hmm. It's just it's OK to fail at something. Just find the goodness in it and start again. Yes, I completely agree. Couldn't have said it better myself. And something that I something that I'm becoming more aware of, I think, since starting this podcast and it's actually grown quickly and which is fantastic. But I think something that's coming up for me is thinking about, okay, 
I, I stand by what I believe and what I say. These are my opinions. This is what I think and believe today to be true. But then what about in the future? What if I like change my mind and someone like holds me to those words forever that you once said this? You know what I mean? So as a journalist and as someone who writes articles, shares their opinions, shares it out on the world, especially now in a world where people aren't afraid to tell you if they disagree with you. Mm. How do you, I guess, like, have cultivate the confidence to find your voice share your message and just be okay with some people are going to like it some people might not I don't know whether you ever get fully comfortable with that except that you just sort of get you I think I just get used to it okay because people will disagree with you on Twitter if you've written something they don't agree with they'll either agree with you or disagree with you um I do find it's mostly men that like to disagree with me on Twitter yeah but what about the thought of like <clears throat> something that in maybe a few years time, if you had a, I don't know, like you went not. Yeah, to say I think go... people have got very judgmental. I mm-hmm. think you can have an opinion in the past. I think if you've had lots of opinions in the past that all add up to something, and you're about to be a politician, I think I think you you you've got to explain those things away. Mm-hmm. But I've seen people even in the fashion world where they might have said something back in the day that was misinformed around a particular topic. Sure. And they have learnt and they have moved on. And I think we should be forgiving. Like, it might have been where you grew up or... I I don't know. I just... I think we can be so... If someone's carrying on with a really unpleasant opinion that's Mm -hmm. horrible to other people... Yeah. But I feel these days it's like no one's allowed to say sorry. You're just done. That's it. You're out. You're cancelled. We've done this on this much, I know, actually. And I think it's a shame because then I think that builds up. It doesn't build up conversation it builds up fear like you can't say anything I mean we're talking about two different things like there's conversation Mm -hmm. and there's going out on Twitter and just being blatantly insulting and racist or whatever and And trolling none of us want to none of us are none of us are but it also feels like sometimes people can just say something by mistake or it's a bit misconstrued and then it's like (laughs) it's literally like this sort of social media monster sort of like comes on top of you Um, and I don't think that's I don't think that's healthy for anybody yeah yeah no I completely agree I'm sitting here like it's like a very nasty version of women gossiping over the over the hedge in like Mm -hmm. a village do you remember those postcards that were like two women gossiping over a hedge except this is 10 million people (laughs) and telling everyone yeah yeah no I think that but also yeah I guess once you not so much just a thing that maybe you thought about before but when something is for example I had a guest on the show recently called Sarah Wilson and she actually doesn't have children but she was talking about you know when you're raising kids and this and that and I do have one child and it's certain things that I yeah really agree and believe in but it's almost like I'm I want to you know not be neutral because I have an opinion but do you know what I mean it's Mm. almost like you want to just have the nuance and the context and everything before Mm you even share your opinion just mm. because you don't want to offend someone or someone to say well you don't know it all and you're like no I don't but this is just what I think you know well, this I much think is what I know I don't know I did I, I, I studied philosophy at university and I always thought the the idea that you could be in a, um, the sort of Socratic way is just you talk about stuff it's okay and some people will get quite heated when they talk about stuff but I quite like having quite heated discussions with people and often I'll prod people and I actually really don't know what I'm talking about, but I want to know. So until you like prod people a bit, <laughs> often they won't tell you what they think. So as long as you keep it nice and everyone's not beginning to shout at them and mm. say, my opinion is 100% right and you're totally wrong. But I do think discussion is how we learn. And um, 
It's not much fun if you all sit around a table having a conversation and go, yeah, I agree, I agree, mm -hmm. I agree, I agree. Like that's the conversation gone, it's dead. Yeah. So I think it's a very natural human thing to talk. And, and I, I guess that's why I think with this much, I know that's why it should be at the heart. It's, it's about talking about the news and what's going on because news is people. That's all it is. It's stuff going on. And behind that stuff and those headlines are people and their lives. And we really try. So we try and reach out to people all over the world and they just video themselves and then send it to us and we upload it because we're trying to get people also to reach out across the world so we don't feel so separated. Yeah. 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 But also just instead of reading about what's going on in Venezuela, we got a young medical nurse just to film her life out there. And it was really surprising because life was shockingly bad for them. She was a young medical nurse. They had no medicine. There was this, she filmed this guy clutching a flower bag to his side because there are no colostomy bags there. And he'd been doing that for a year. Like that's, you're like, wow. But then she gave this incredible positive message at the end. She's like, I know this feels looks bad. It does feel, you know, it's challenging, but she's like, we're all pulling together as a community. And she goes, that's such an amazing thing. Mm. And I thought, wow, you don't read that in the news. Yeah, true. Amazing. Thank you so much for sharing. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Okay, I'd love to talk to you about the power hour. So I'd love to know if <laughs> Mine's you... so not a power hour. Really? Oh gosh, I can't <laughs> it's wait to hear it. It's called the rush hour. Rush hour. Yes, I can't wait to hear it. So what time does the rush hour start? What time do you get up in the morning? And what's the first hour of your day like? Well, to understand the first hour, you have to go back to the night before. So my husband and I are night owls, particularly my husband. He's a restaurateur. So... We find that we only manage to really get time to ourselves. We've got two teenage, well, one's 14, one's 11, that we get this time late at night just to ourselves when the house is quiet and like we're both big readers and we have the radio on. So we always go to sleep too late. What time? It's like midnight. It's really bad. That's not as bad as I thought you were going to say. No, it's pretty bad when the alarm goes off at 6.30. So the alarm yeah. goes off at 6.30, today radio comes on and then we both lie in bed for too long. I have to have a cup of tea. So it's completely unhealthy. I get up, I pad downstairs and I quite like 20 minutes downstairs all by myself. And in the summer, it's great because I go out into the garden and, and then I, I cannot survive without a cup of tea. So I've tried to do green tea. I've tried to do the fasting till lunchtime thing. I can tell you nothing gets past that cup of tea. Okay. So it's normally about three cups of tea. <laughs> then I can function. There's a sort of rush at that point to get the children out of school, get dressed, Sometimes I've been really organised and worked out my outfit the day before, but the British weather being the British weather, you know, is a bit of a sort of last minute change. Then I love taking the children to school and um, that's a really important part of my day feeling because I can't pick them up. So I really love doing that. Um, but it is always a bit of a rush. And then I, I rush back home and I should at that point do a few yoga stretches and um, breathing, but I don't. <laughs> Why did you say you should? Because I think it would definitely help lose a bit of tension in the shoulders. So you know the thing. I know yeah. the thing. I bust my Achilles last summer. I should be exercising that in the morning. 
So I'm really bad at doing stuff that's good for me. I mean, 100%, I am terrible at it and you should be good at it. My sister's much better. She's much my old sister. She gets up at six, but I can't. And she does half an hour of yoga before the yeah. day starts. But um, I'm just not that person. And... And is there then anything I, that you is there anything you try to actively avoid in the first hour of your day, which you know is going to set you up for a bad day? Not having a cup of tea. <laughs> <laughs> as long as you've got your tea, you can face the world. I'm serious. I can face the world if yeah. I've got a cup of tea. Brilliant. If there's no milk in the fridge, all hell breaks loose. <laughs> <laughs> Love that. Okay, so I, I I always ask the the guest to give the listeners a challenge, and and sometimes it's about the power hour. So it's like, in your power hour this week, try this or or whatever. But it doesn't have to be. So it can be any challenge that they could try this week. I mean, we've talked about so many things. So I think the challenge for me is sometimes I can wake up quite early, especially in the summer. And because you've got your day ahead of you, I, I, I sometimes I can have quite negative thoughts in the morning. And it's funny you because I think it's very important you watch how your thoughts are buzzing around your head. Um, and I, I saw a I saw a national an NHS therapist last year, actually, who was really it was all around cognitive behavior. And she was really good about watching your stream of thoughts. Yep. So instead of lying there fretting, I get up and I think if you're awake, just get up. Like even if you go back to bed again with a cup of tea, um, get, get up and you'll immediately your brain will become more positive. Mm-hmm. I, I can't explain. And, and and also I I say that I don't do this, but I really do try and have a big stretch and just take t- three deep breaths in front of the mirror every morning. Mm. Yeah, no, taking action, movement, motion, yeah. as you said, breaking that loop of, yeah. of you know, kind of despair or, or feeling overwhelmed or maybe just whatever it is that you're feeling, you know, lots of... Um, health professionals when it comes to mental health will say that you know if you can have a morning structure if you can have one thing that you know is an action that you can do even if for some people they'll say like in the shower something that you're worried about or stressed about yeah. think of literally scrubbing it off and washing it off and yeah. like just things that you can use as a visual to go okay if there's one thing in the morning then yeah break that you had a guest who i really liked who said be grateful yeah and she, she was saying oh even if i'm in a taxi be grateful that you're in a cab even if you're late yeah and and I think I try, I think it's really, I know this sounds like, this sounds like a sort of negative thing. I try and think, this, I, this is going to sound really negative, but it's not. I'm trying to say that you should feel really great. I'm really grateful for my two sons and my husband. I've been with my husband since I was at university. Like we've got an unbelievably strong marriage. I love my boys more than life itself. And I always think if like, even if my husband and I are having a bit of a to do or my son, I think this may be the last time you see them. Always think that this might be it. Like live your life for for now. So I always go, I love you. Have a great day. I always try and cuddle the boys. I was like, get off, mum. <laughs> I always say I love you to my husband. Have a have a lovely day. And if I if we have a row in the morning, it completely throws me. So I always try and start the day. It's going to sound really naff. This with a bit of love in your heart. Mm, no, I love that. I love that. I'm just sitting here like, oh. I need to say that to Rob tomorrow. Okay, so where can people find you online? Um, We are on Instagram at the moment. Um, It's thismuchiknow.news. I'm also on Instagram, Emily Sheffield UK. I'm very chatty. I talk back to, we talk back to everybody, team, don't we, Holly? Everyone who messages us, we answer them. We believe you should have direct conversation with journalists. And we are testing an app right now and we will be opening that up to the public in September 
and that's quite a big moment we're a little bit scared um but we're really excited too um so that'll be on um apple and we will be launching a podcast quite soon but i mean my god just sort of added that to the list yeah (laughs) things to achieve (laughs) amazing stay tuned get involved check it all out okay so my closing question for you is a question that i ask to every single guest on the show and it is all about time i really appreciate you giving me an hour of your time today I believe time is the most valuable thing that we all have. It's the most valuable thing you can give to another person and it's limited and finite and we can't get it back. So what is the most valuable thing that time has taught you? Spend your time as much as possible doing the things that when you're on your deathbed, you'll be glad you did. Yes. So for me, that's friends, my kids and work. And work by mean, I mean good work. Not, not the bad bit of work, you know, the good stuff. And uh, because I, I don't know how old your readership is, but I'm 46 and boy, time goes fast. I, I don't think time's your friend, really. You, you, you've got to make it your friend. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I think, especially setting up a business, I and, I, and as a working mum, I thought I am not going to sacrifice my time with my family and you just make it work. And I do make it work brilliant yeah make it count thank you so much that was absolutely brilliant absolutely loved having you on the show if you've enjoyed this episode then please do share it get in touch reach out with myself or emily you can rate and review us over on itunes spotify acast all that good stuff thank you so much for listening see ya Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.